Our Advent journey has taken us to the various appearances of the Lord in the Old Testament. Abraham and Moses particularly looking at connecting the dots to Jesus. And now we come to the final and the greatest appearance in the Incarnation. We look to the reading of God's Word. If you would please join me in prayer. Father, indeed in your Word, endless glories shine forth. And your word guides our steps. It gives discernment to those who seek you. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would grant that we would find new beauties in an ever-increasing light this day. You are our divine instructor and gracious Lord. Father, teach us to love your word, to view our Savior here. We pray and ask this all in his mighty name. Amen. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God. Who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The word of the Lord. There is a cottage industry in the business world on the theme of managing expectations. A quick internet search will give you lots of books, articles titled on how to manage expectations, 10 do's and don'ts, the five B's, 12 tips, 10 tactics, and on it goes. If only the Lord would have considered having a Harvard MBA as one of the 12 disciples, that probably would have helped in dealing with these managed expectations because so many struggled with who Jesus was of what they thought he should be. Jesus' ministry probably would have been helped if they would have had a focus group, question and answer around the shores of the Sea of Galilee, gathered up, someone saying, okay, people, with Jesus, your Messiah, you can expect forgiveness of sins, but not removal of the Romans. Yes, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, but he's going to open it up to the Gentiles. And hear this, listen up, this is important. He's not going to require them to become Jewish. Now, the most important one, he's going to be a suffering Messiah. He's going to die for our sins. Any questions? It it seems like something like that would have cleared up lots of problems. But we know instinctively that it would not. Many of these expectations we're not even aware of until later. Think, well, why didn't God do it that way? We trust and leave it to him in his infinite wisdom that he knew the best route to bring his son. And I think we understand that wrestling with our own expectations is a part of God's plan for our growth in grace. Surrendering ourselves to Jesus and his purpose means a surrender of our expectations, agenda, and rights. And we don't even know sometimes what those are until we feel they're not met. And then that can result often in disappointment, discouragement, and even deep anger. But because the Lord, His ways are beyond our ways, 
we also then follow his word. We allow him to set and even upset our agendas, our expectations. That's clearly the way of walking by faith that we see in the scriptures. And it's the way of faith that we experience in our lives. There's this tension felt between what we expect and how things really turn out. And for the Jews of Jesus' day, they had some very clear expectations of what the Messiah would be like. What were some of those things they expected? Well, they they clearly saw them from Scripture. We stated at the very beginning of the Advent series, all the way back in Genesis 12, with the Lord appearing to Abraham, and he told him, he said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And this message gets repeated to Isaac, his son, and to Jacob, his grandson. About 20 times in the Old Testament, we see a variation of this phrase. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or, I will bring you into the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promise of land, people, and rule was what they all expected. And along the way, they came to understand that there would be the role of the Messiah who would help to bring these things about. And that that word Messiah is simply Hebrew for anointed one. And in Greek, it's Christ, meaning anointed one. This one who would be raised up would be from the royal lineage of David. They expected him to be a political, military ruler who would overthrow the Romans. In 2 Samuel 7, speaking to David, the Lord says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Jeremiah 23. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up David's righteous branch, and a king will reign wisely. Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Hosea 3. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear of the Lord and to his goodness to the latter days. They also expected that in some way the prophet Elijah would would make an appearance. Malachi 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day when the Lord comes. The Messiah would be a great prophet in wonders and signs performed like Moses. Moses himself in Deuteronomy 18 says, The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among you, your brothers. It is him you shall listen to. They understood that Jerusalem would now become a center part of this righteous rule, that the expectation of Judaism being a superior religion to the world. Even we saw in our our call to worship from Isaiah, but in Micah 4 as well. The many nations shall go and say, Come, let us worship at the mount of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may instruct us in his ways and that we may walk in his paths. And because of the exile, the Jewish people were scattered abroad and they expected that in this rule of the Messiah, he would bring them all back. Isaiah 11 He will hold up a signal to the nations and assemble the banished of Israel, gather up the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. 
These and more were all the expectations that were in the air at the time of Jesus. From the Babylonians coming and destroying the temple to their exile, there's something around 600 years of being under foreign oppression. And the Romans are on the scene, and they're not clearing out anytime soon. And they're waiting and hoping for these expectations to be revealed. But there wasn't anyone thinking of a suffering Messiah. As Isaiah said, one who would be pierced for our iniquities, crushed for our transgressions. That was nowhere to be seen at all. That there was this problem created by sinful man that needed a God-sized solution. How was that ever to happen? Well, by something unexpected. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. That word for word in Greek, logos, it's actually preloaded with all kinds of philosophical meaning. In Greek philosophy, the logos was reason with a capital R. They thought long and hard about that concept, and it came into Jewish circles as well. And John took this word, it's just packed with meaning, and he charted his own way to speak about the preexistent Son of God. The word is the activity of God, the wisdom of God. Paul tells us in Colossians, the word of God is the mystery of God, which is now revealed in Christ Jesus himself. The word has come to them. The word of God. As one scholar has put it this way, according to John, the Logos is at once with God and is God. The word is both spoken by and to God and is the God who speaks and hears. The Father, Son, and Spirit are persons where their communal life is God. That's difficult to understand. How is all that at work? Loaded here in the first verse of John 1. Charles Barrett, New Testament scholar, it's in your bulletin to quote, but he said, John intends for the whole of the gospel to be read in light of this verse. The deeds and the words of Jesus are the deeds and the words of God. If this is not true, this book is blasphemous. And we see that reaction through John's gospel. People reacting to Jesus, wanting to stone him, saying, you, a man, make yourself out to be God. Yes. That's the point. And the Son, the Word, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That was unexpected. God becoming a man was not on anyone's radar. The son of man entering into this world as a helpless babe coming from a, a poor region of Gentiles and Jews mixed. Nobody thought that. And then we move to verse 14. Then the word became flesh, dwelt among us as we've seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Some translations will say tabernacled. The idea is God dwelling with us, tabernacling with us, the presence of God with his people. I'm sure some of you have heard the the expression Shekinah glory. Uh, Shekinah simply is a form of dwelling. I think people like to put that together in English because it sounds kind of cool, you know, Shekinah glory. Honestly, it's a little bit like saying ATM machine. It doesn't really work, but it's all right. The word Shekinah is not actually in the Bible, but it's a form of to dwell. 
God's presence dwelling with them. And the Jewish readers, listeners, they would have connected what John was saying. God's presence with Israel in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. But in no way was anyone thinking that his abiding presence was going to be now forever in a human being, a person. He goes on, speaking of John the Baptist. He said, he, John bore witness to him. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Well, how does that work chronologically? John the Baptist recognizing who Jesus is. He's the son well before me. He's ahead of me, both in chronology and in authority and glory. And he goes on, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But he who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The question is, well, how could Jesus be all this? Well, he's both God and man. Well, what? No one thought that. More than that, he's a fulfillment of all the promises given to Abraham, Moses, David, and the prophets. Physically descended, yes, but the promise is now given to all the spiritual children of Abraham. You must believe in the one whom God has sent, not a physical birth and lineage, to be born again, a spiritual rebirth. And then Jesus takes on himself all of our human frailties. Like, well, why did he do that? The author of Hebrews tells us, Therefore, Jesus was made like his brothers in every way that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when tempted, is able to help those who are being tempted. He can identify with us in every way. And more than identify, he can do something about our sin problem. And the question is, is why would anyone be upset with this? Why would anyone be offended with their expectations of Jesus with this at stake? Real glory is seen in lowly service. Real glory will come with a cross. A big God dwelling with little people and dying for them is not expected. I appreciate Martin Luther speaking of Jesus. He said, when God makes alive, he does so by killing. When he justifies, he does so by making guilty. When he takes into heaven, he does so by sending into hell. That's an unexpected expected. Paul reminds us the same way, the tension. God's power is made known in weakness. We are to glory in the shame of the cross. Jesus was hated by many for not doing or being what they thought he should be or what they wanted. He had the audacity to tell religious people that their real problem was their sin and their alienation from God, that We cannot save ourselves or earn grace and mercy. Jesus, the Lord of glory, dwells in the basement of humanity, and you have to go there to find him. The proud of heart will not follow. And that pride is found in the rich halls of royalty as well as in the back streets of the impoverished. It is a human condition. 
our pride. The final and the complete appearance of God to his people is Jesus. The stage was set for his coming. Everything in Israel's history was moving forward to this moment. And this Jesus who came in the first century, he comes to each one of us. And he bids us to believe in him, to follow him wherever he goes. It's a call to serve and to sacrifice and to die to yourself, to your expectations, to your agenda. Of everything that you think God owes you, of what you think life should look like, of what you think you deserve. Who doesn't at some point say, God, why did you make me like this? Why did you put me in this place with these people? If you loved me, you would have met my expectations. I want a different set of family or friends, a spouse or children, co-workers. I don't like the person you've stuck next to me who shares a locker beside me. He's a jerk. Why would you do that to me? Two more serious things. Why is my body breaking down like this? Why do I suffer in these ways? Why do I have children who don't believe who I pray for every day? Allow God to set and to upset your expectations. You are called to follow him. He will take you to the basement of humanity because that is where your heart is. And there is a recognition that that's where my heart is. And it will crush you in order to give you life in him. He is the light of life, the life of the world, full of grace and truth. Brothers and sisters, put your faith in Christ. Pray with me. Father, we are so grateful that in spite of ourselves, you have come into the midst of our darkness with such a great light. And Father, we ask that you would continue to expose our darkness. Show us, Lord. For we indeed are trying desperately to hold on to the reins of our life. Father, teach us how to let go. Teach us how to to submit to, to your providences. To rejoice, Father, in the moments when you give us plenty. And Father, to rejoice in the moments when you give us little. That we would trust you in the same way. Father, we thank you for not leaving us to ourselves but that in the fullness of time you sent forth your Son, born of a woman, born of the law, to, to free us. What can we do but worship? We bless you, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.